Pleased to be with you here this morning. Am I? Uh, oh, there it is. Okay, great. I'm. Uh, uh, this has been quite a week. Uh, you've given reference to the uh, the passing of Billy Graham, and uh, uh, you'll hear some of that this morning from me. Uh, he was one that God used in a pretty significant way in my life, and. Uh, but the, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Um, if you are tired of being a Christian, if, um, if the things that you have professed in the, fa- in the past to become dry and disinteresting to you, uh, if you're here this morning and would rather be watching the last parts of the Olympics, uh, if, if your heart falls somewhere in that range this morning, then listen up really carefully. Every one of us in this room have been invited by Jesus to come into the presence of God every day. The king of the universe, the creator of all things, knows your name and says, Come. I got your back. I'm running in front of you. I love you with everything that's in my being, and I offer to you my son. This God of the universe has made promises to us and giving us invitation, and we can respond to that. And I want to just look at that. I've titled this morning, Your New Life in Christ. And that new life in Christ happens every morning when your eyes pop open. Because every day is new in Him. But we have a new life that's different. That's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on the people around us. It's not dependent on what we do or don't do. It's dependent on God's promise and God's pursuit of us and our response to Him. It's pretty simple. But for some reason, we make it pretty difficult. But we're going to look at that this morning uh, just a bit with you. And uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, if, and the word there is since, you have been raised with Christ. It's not if like you have or haven't been, but as a matter of fact, if you've been raised with Christ and you have been. We... uh, Last week, we were looking at the truth and error that is uh, taught in the church of Colossae that uh, Paul was concerned about. And there was a list of things that we say are the truth that we found in Colossians chapter 2. And uh, among them are these. We have been made complete in Christ. We're already complete in him. We're becoming more, more, not more complete, but we're becoming completed But as far as God is concerned, everything that is necessary for us to have an intimate personal relationship with him and a life that's effective in his behalf is already in us. We are complete now in Christ. I don't have to wait to become something else. That's a truth we found in chapter two that we've been set apart for to Christ. We're regarded as as very special, unique, and called upon to follow him. We've been set apart from all around us and the world that we live in as unique, a representative of Jesus Christ in this world. 
We are buried and risen with Christ. It's a done deal. When you and I come in faith believing that Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, and we recognize our need for that forgiveness and grace of God in our life and receive what he's done for us, a lot of things happen in that moment. One, we're forgiven. Our sin is buried in the depths of the deepest sea. It's cast as far as the east is from the west, and God remembers it no more. It's a done deal. God never comes back to you and says, but do you remember when you did this? Because all that God can remember is that Jesus died on the cross and he took all that you've done that you would feel shame for. And Jesus bore that in your behalf on the cross. You are clean and pure before him. And we were baptized. And it's a picture of of baptism in which we go down into the water and come up out of the water. We identify with his death and we identify with his risen Christ. And the scripture says, in that moment of faith on our behalf and identifying, identifying with Jesus Christ, we are dead and buried and risen. That's how God sees you and me today. We're new creations to him. And we've been made alive together, no longer dead and dying, but alive. I have so much I want to say. I have gobs of stories from all of Paul's testimony and things in the scriptures, but you don't have five hours today. So I won't do that to you. He forgave us of all our transgressions. He canceled our debt, any debt that we owe in in duty to God or um, uh, payment that would be due to God because of our own sinfulness. He's canceled that debt on the cross of Christ and he's disarmed all spiritual authority. There's no spiritual being out there who can undo what Christ has done in our lives. Jesus has authority over all spiritual beings. And I can rest in him. Those are truths. We found those in chapter 2. Go back and read them again for yourself in that case. And the truth for us is that Christ has accomplished everything for us himself. And he did it without any of our help. These are all things that are done deals. <clears throat> we open with, uh, therefore, since you've been raised up with Christ, and we have indeed been raised up with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about the, the identification with his death and, and being risen. And it says in verse 3, uh, Romans chapter 6, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now, this is not speaking of water baptism here, by the way. This is a spiritual baptism. When we come to faith, we're baptized in the Spirit of God. He indwells us. We're immersed in Him. And in Him is our life. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We're new creations. We have died with him, and we have been risen with him, and we now can walk in a new life. I'm grateful scripture doesn't say we should walk in this new life. It says we can because we are. And since we are dead and risen with Christ, Paul told the Colossians, because we have this posture of relationship with God, dead and risen, he says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not only on the things that are on earth. And I said, what does that mean? And I remember the story found in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was with his disciples. They were up on the mountain. And um, he'd had some conversation with them. Who do, you, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God has given you insight to this. That was a pretty special moment for Peter. And then Jesus went on in that conversation to tell them that uh, he was to suffer many things in Jerusalem, that he would be killed, and on the third day he would rise again. They didn't get it. He told them that several times. When he was crucified, they didn't get it. (laughs) They were surprised when he walked through the door. Alive after his death and burial. But here he is. He's up there in the mountain and he's telling them they're going to kill me and I'm going to rise on the third day. And Peter, it says in the text there, rebuked Jesus. This shall never happen to you. No one will touch you. No one will kill you. I got my sword. (laughs) And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. There's a distinction between focusing my mind, attention, my trust, my faith, my dependence on God in contrast to on me or other people. God is sufficient for anything in our lives. Keep seeking the things which are above. Set your mind on the things above. So I ask the question, what's above? What is it that I'm seeking? What is it that I'm setting my mind on? And this is a list I've created out of my head in Scripture. You're just going to have to trust me that every quote I've got here I can give you Scripture for. But just walk with me in this. What is above? Number one... God, his person, his presence. Seek him. Set your mind on him. Let him be the first one you go to when there's a question in your heart and mind. Seek him first and his kingdom and all the needs of your life will be added to you. Matthew six thirty-three. What's above? God is. 
And what's above? Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what it says in the text. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So where is Jesus? Well, by his spirit. He's here present this morning. By his spirit, he indwells you. But the picture we've been given here that Jesus now sits in the heavenlies and rules, seated at the right hand of the Father. And the picture of seated at the right hand is a picture of authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have a task for you, therefore. Go and tell everybody. And don't be afraid because I am with you always. I just quoted sort of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What's above? God, his person, his presence, Jesus. What's above is all authority. Who's threatening you? Jesus has authority over that person. What's the condition in your life, the circumstances of your life that are over your head, create fear in you all the time? Jesus has authority over that. His presence can work a miracle in your heart and your life and in your situations. And when he doesn't respond in the way I want, he grants me the grace and the mercy to sustain me. For his grace is sufficient for anything that comes into my life. What's above? The wisdom of God. What's above? The heart of God. Seek him. Seek his wisdom. Set your mind on the truths that he teaches us and the wisdom he grants to us. You're not going to a God of stone. You're going to a God of heart, will, love, and compassion for you. What's above? Encouragement from God. Encouragement to step out and do something you're afraid of. Encouragement to hang on when everything's going wrong. The kind of encouragement that you and I need all the time. And often God speaks to us through those around us. His words of encouragement. He has the lips, the tongue of the disciples that he may encourage another. And what's above? All of the resources of God. I remember as a high school kid, a college student. Well, I don't have enough to do that. And somebody somewhere would give me this quote. Well, your father has all the cattle on a thousand hills. And I said, I know. Could he slaughter one for me? (laughs) You know, I just there's but that is a truth. 
that whatever need there is in our life, God has the ability and the resources to meet us wherever we are. And he'll do it in a way that brings honor to him. He'll do it in a way that will demonstrate his grace and his mercy in a great way. He takes pleasure in doing that for us. We have a choice. We can believe God and act accordingly. Or we can cross our hands and say, I don't know, I think my problem is bigger than that. I can come in faith or I can come in doubt. Paul's encouragement to the Colossians was, keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on the things above. It's a different perspective. I remember hearing a a statement in my high school days. It's amazing the things that are coming back to me as I do this because this is pretty close and dear to me in my life. But uh, I remember someone saying, Ed, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, I needed to hear that. Because though he he tells me to seek that which is above and to set my mind on that which is above, he's planted me here with my feet on the ground. And he's got work for me to do as his ambassador and his representative. He's got work for me to do as a brother and sister in his family, to to the sisters in my family. So there's a sense in which I stand on this earth. But how can I set my mind and keep in my priority and my thinking the things of God and not be overwhelmed by all the stuff that I live in here? So how do I seek God? Well, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge him. Acknowledge that he's there. I give you this uh, statement from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. When I seek him and I set my mind in him, I have to come in faith. I have to believe what he says. If I walk in doubt, things just don't happen in my life. It's like faith is the key that opens the door to all the resources of God in my life. Faith is the key that opens the door to my understanding of God and the world I live in from his perspective. I can have the book and read it, but without faith, it's just ink on paper. I come in faith and believe that he is and that he's engaged and he's involved and he's responsive. He's the rewarder. So how do I seek God? I acknowledge him first. And these are some things that have been helpful to me. How do I seek? I acknowledge God. I seek him in his word. I don't read the word just to read the word. 
I read the word to find out who God is and where he's at and what he has to say and what does he want to say to me. A lot of what you get out of my mouth here are things that have passed through my head, my brain, my heart, because God's talked to me about them. I love speaking because I learn. I learn far more than you. I have more than, than you can endure. But I've loved it. It's just been a great and rich and rewarding time to seek him in his word. Another thing I found really important is that I learn how to pour out my heart to him. Remind me this week what I just said. Um, Ron and Vet asked me how my week went, and my response was it was chaotic. Now, why was it chaotic? Because my brain wasn't there, it was here. I was pressed out of shape by all the stuff around me, all the demands of people, things that didn't happen that were supposed to happen, my own health, my body's falling apart. You know, I just, there's all kinds of things that just pressed in on me because I let those things dominate my thinking rather than setting my mind on the things which are above and taking the time just to simply pour out my heart and all the things that are troubling me to the Lord and let him have them. Cast all of your care on me, he says, because I care for you. How do I seek him? Acknowledge him. Seek him in his word. Pour out your heart to him. And something that's difficult for me to do and yet has always been very productive in my life, having spent time in the word, spent time praying in in communication with God, just to sit quietly and listen. I want to get mystical on you. There's a lot of voices that go through my head and they aren't all from God. But I can test the voices that I hear in my head is the consistency to what God has said in his word. But I have found when I stop and take time just to reflect on who God is and what it is that he's saying and what does that mean for me and be quiet. That my brain processes all these things and um, this is the mystical side of it. Things begin to make sense that I didn't see before, that are consistent with Scripture, that motivated me in a new way, because I heard the voice of God in that sense. But just take the time to be quiet. Listen. Be still and know that I am God. And the other thing that has been helpful to me is do what requires me to trust him. Put myself in a place that's over my head. Put myself in a place where I have to depend on God. That is an extremely exciting time if you want to see the presence of God show up in your life. Step outside of your comfort zone. And see what he does for you and in you. How do I set my mind above and the things above? Uh, the first thing I would say to you is set aside time to be with God. You can do that. That's the discipline side. That's your response. Set your mind. Be deliberate in setting your mind apart. Set aside a time to be with God. 
Pray about everything. Take every captive, every thought captive. Does it belong in my head or not? Is it from God or not? We live in a very sensual society. I don't think I have to tell you that. You know what I'm speaking of. Can't drive down the freeway without seeing sex everywhere being marketed. I can't watch anything on TV that doesn't have innuendos in it. I can't go in any public place where I I don't see far more flesh than I need to see. We live in a very sensual world. And can I take my thoughts captive? Can I look away? Can I think on something else? Or do I entertain the things that lead me down a path that is destructive in my own heart and life? You understand what I'm saying, I think. I debated whether I'd use that illustration, but I, I said, you know, I need to walk down a path. It's, you are very open people here. I love coming to you. You can dismiss things that are just crazy, Ed. But I see your responses when you, you hear the things that you know is God's word and things that are from him. You're... You've been dead and risen in Christ. You are a new creation. Determined to be obedient. Make up your mind ahead of time. That's what God said. That's what I'm going to do. I don't care what the consequences are. I have to do what he said. He's got a good thing in store. It doesn't make sense to me in the moment, but I have to do what he says. And uh, this is a little uh, ethereal in this sense, but the next one I says, aspire to know God. Just want to know him. How do I set my mind on the things above? I want to know you, Lord. I'm going to do the things that make that possible. I'm going to be in your presence as I can. And the last one in this, how do I set my mind on things above? Recognize and consider yourself dead here. Live your life as a dead man. Dead woman. I ask the question, why am I to seek the things that are above? Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I've had several conversations this week with friends about uh, this text particularly. What does it mean to be hidden, that my life is hidden in Christ, was hidden? So I'm looking at the word hidden, and it's a primary verb in Greek, and it means hidden. That wasn't helpful. And so I I thought then, how do things become hidden? And then I thought of the words of Jesus. It says, uh, let let your light shine. 
don't hide it under a bushel basket. So I thought of the word hidden as being covered. So in one sense, I, I can look at that and say, I'm covered with Christ in God. And that would be appropriate in, in the rest of the text of Scripture, that I'm covered by him. I'm hidden in him. I thought of another way that I could be hidden is if I was immersed and I was under the water. You can't see me. You know, so there's a sense in which I'm immersed in Christ. I don't know if those pictures help you, but hidden in him. I am in him now. And it may not be obvious to me or everybody else around, but God says I'm hidden with Christ. And a day is coming when I'm going to be revealed and no longer hidden with Christ. Last Wednesday, Billy Graham experienced this promise. Life here ended, and life in the presence of God began. My daughter showed me this uh, Facebook post. I, David, you want to bring that up? I'll uh, show you there. This uh, just a picture of Graham from years ago, and uh, and the quote that here has been uh, <clears throat> identified uh, to him. It's uh, in his biography written in 1999, uh, Billy Graham, God's Ambassador. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. That's setting your mind above as you live out this life and actively as he did. Intent as he was. His mind is where he's going and he wants to take everybody with him. You may have heard that this is not a quote from Billy Graham. It's actually uh, been plagiarized. It came first from uh, D.L. Moody. I just thought I'd tell you that in case I'm the first one. You can know the context. Um, The statement that D.L. Moody is recorded in his biography. It was published in 1990. He was long gone. But uh, in 1990, there was a quote in there that uh, was very similar to this quote that Graham is in his biography. But not the same, but similar. And it is likely that Billy Graham uh, adapted Moody's statement and made it his own. And it is the truth that's known in any of the biographies and anybody, uh, as you're probably hearing, that uh, D.L. Moody was the uh, one man that he sought to uh, follow and be the same. Many of the things that uh, Billy Graham did in his years of uh, evangelistic ministries and things, he patterned after what he learned from D.L. Moody. I just thought I'd let you know about that. Graham admired Moody. I responded in faith as a junior high kid to a message that Jesus came for the purpose of the cross and that he died on the cross, had to die on the cross, that I could come into relationship with God. 
And I remember there was an invitation given that morning for people to respond. And I didn't understand a whole lot of things, except I knew in my heart and my life, I said, God, I'm really sorry that you had to do that for me. I didn't have a lot to confess. I didn't see myself as a really bad kid. I was a goody, uh, a goody two-shoes. That means anything to somebody. But I felt badly that God had to do that. That was my response to God. Six months later, I'm in New York City. I'm with a Boy Scout event thing, an international jamboree. And we're in a hotel across the street from Madison Square Garden. There's something going on in the garden. Let's go. It's the sports capital of the world. We go and we end up in the nosebleed section of there. And we find out there's this big crowd that's here. And there's this guy, Billy Graham, who's going to speak. At the end of his message, two of the guys in our troop got up to go down. Our scoutmaster got up and followed him. And the rest of us looked at each other. You're not going to leave us in New York City. And we all followed him down. And uh, there... In front of Graham, um, an elderly man, a Scotsman, Ernst St. John's. Why would I remember that 60 years later? But he wanted to know why I came forward, and I explained. And in the process, uh, he wanted to know uh, if I believed in Jesus, what Jesus did. And I explained to him the whole gospel. And he says, you know, I think you really are a Christian. And I'm going, Really? <laughs> It's like it all dawned on me in that moment in time in life. A lot of things have happened since then. I want to remind you that uh, to remember all that God has given to you and me and all that God is continuing to do in our lives. Live your life aware of your position with God. Believe it. Act on it. Trust God in all things. A day is coming when you will stand in his presence. Get to know him here. You don't want to meet him as a stranger. And God has given you all kinds of opportunity to know him intimately here and now. I was wondering how I was going to cover everything that I wanted to share with you this morning. And I'll do it next Sunday. So keep your notes. It'll be the second half of your page, or maybe it's the second two-thirds. I'm not sure. But where I'm going to move with you next week is to look at this in, um, in verse 5 of uh, Colossians 3. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. I recall an evening message at youth camp. It was the summer before my senior year in high school. The text was Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He continued in reference to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Set yourself aside, die daily, 
and do what Jesus says. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. I suppose that could be physically, literally. I give my life for Christ and someone takes my life because of my witness and service to Christ. But there's another whole picture of this, and that is that in the pursuit of satisfying everything that I want in this life, I lose life. I'm guessing there isn't anybody here that doesn't know somebody like that. Accumulating, establishing security, being in control, everything's about me, and they don't have a life. Because in the process of seeking to save it, they've lost it. The next verse is, for what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? That was the message I heard on a Friday night. Saturday afternoon during our free time, I climbed the mountain behind the, the, the camp, the lodge and the lake that was there. And I was up on, a, on the slope of the hill and I was on a rock uh, Probably, I don't know, maybe six, eight feet in diameter that was in the hillside. It was a flat rock and the hillside came down and I was sitting on top of this flat rock looking out over the lake and I could see the camp down below. And I had a time just talking to God about what I heard the night before about presenting my body as a living sacrifice. I had a little uh, three ring uh, notebook tablet and I had a pen and I wrote a pledge to God. I had a chapstick tube in my pocket and I screwed out the, the, the goo, the, the lip, lip stuff. And I rolled up my piece of paper that I wrote a pledge to God and I stuffed it into the, the uh, chapstick tube. And I laid it in the middle of this big flat rock. And I gathered a whole bunch of rocks around and I created my altar to God to present my body as a living sacrifice. As I walked away, a rattlesnake slithered across the top of that rock into my pile. Now, you can do whatever you want with that. But I saw that as a confirmation from God. I'm not going back on this one. Because there's no way I'm going back to that pile of rocks. But that moment sealed something in my heart and life that has motivated me, driven me, energized me my entire life. My life is not about Ed. He gets in the way, and God makes that clear in time. He just keeps working with us. But the singleness of desire and doing something intentional is live your life for the Lord and not yourself. Die. Let it die. My mom and dad gave me a Bible in June, just a month before I was at the camp. You'll love this. It's a King James Schofield Bible. It's a little beat up, and I'm kind of proud of that. No, but be proud of what God does in your heart. Huh? But I wrote my vow in here. I vow my life to Christ, my past, my hopes, 
my ambitions, my desires, my drives, my body, to go anywhere, anytime, even alone, knowing death is ahead when he calls. I tried to make it as complete as I could in my brain at that point in time in life. And I just said, I'm done. God, it's yours. And you and I can do that. There's a moment in time and God will take us at our pledge. I wrote also in here, Ecclesians 5, when I vow to God, defer not to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. And at the bottom, some weeks later, I wrote this, live in light of eternity, for all else will pass away. I'll see you next week, and we'll talk a little bit more about what does it mean to be dead and alive. Lord, we thank you for being with us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives, for calling us to yourself, for making us new, and continuing to make things new in us. Lord, we're just grateful. Help us in our doubt, Lord. Help us in the difficulties of our life that are bigger than us, that they're not bigger than you. We just love you, Lord. And we come. Lord, we know what you're doing in hearts and lives, each of us individually. You, we know, Lord, that you're speaking to us. And I just, Lord, help us to be responsive to you right now. Lord, once again, I want to say to you, I'm done. Live. May this life be one that's you and not me. Helping to walk in the confidence of that. And Lord, may my life be a light that's bright to those around who walk without hope. And may my prayer be the prayer of all of us here, Lord. And wherever we are, whatever's in our hearts and minds, Lord, I know you hear us. I give you thanks for the invitation to come. And I thank you in Jesus.